Let's read James 3, verses 13 through 18. It says, Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, next week we'll pick back up in Luke, but this week taking a quick look at wisdom. What would you say you hear? That person is really wise. What do you think of when you hear that? What type of qualities and attributes would personify them? What is wisdom anyways? Do you have to take a long trek to to the far-off mountains to search a man sitting all alone to ask him obscure questions? Of which after he thinks for a while gives you some equally obscure answer back to. Is that what wisdom is about? Well today we're going to see that wisdom is revealed in its actions. A few years ago we were in the process of planting our vegetable garden. And one of our little helpers, we'll let them stay unnamed. Decided it would be a little bit faster rather than waiting for them to grow. And then mixing them up into a salad. Let's just go ahead and mix all the seeds together now. And so we had all of our seeds just in one nice little pile. Now we could have sat there and taken a microscope and got each seed back to where it was and put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But we thought, you know, we'll just spread them out enough that as they grow, then we'll be able to determine which seed is which. As they grow, you're able to determine, well, what type of seed was that? Well, this morning, James is showing us that the way you know if you have wisdom is by what grows up in the garden of your life. What is the fruit being shown? What is it that you see? In verse 13, we're going to see that wisdom reveals itself in actions, and then it gives two contrasts. Because in verses 14 through 16, he gives the wisdom that's from below, and then verses 17 and 18, the wisdom that is from above. But first in verse 13, he is showing that wisdom reveals itself in actions. And he poses a question Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Most likely there's probably some people in their midst who think they're quite wise and quite understanding. And James is wanting to challenge them to think, are you really that wise? And if they think they're wise and understanding, then they should show it, he says, by their conduct in the meekness of wisdom. James here, as he often does in his letter, is mimicking Jesus' words. Because in Matthew eleven sixteen through 19 Jesus says wisdom is justified by her deeds. Thus, true wisdom is not the ability to solve deep riddles. Being wise does not mean you know answers to all the deep theological questions. Being wise doesn't mean that you know every memory verse. Those are all good things to be able to do. But James argues wisdom reveals itself in deeds. He'd already said this. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 22, he writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Wisdom reveals itself in actions. 
but not just any type of actions, but ones that are done in a gentle manner. Now, if there is an attribute today that we did not honor as a society, that is gentleness. Gentleness is for the weak, for the servile, not a leader, not someone who's strong. I grew up in San Antonio, and many of you know there there's a professional basketball team called the San Antonio Spurs. And while I was growing up, the main player for the team was David Robinson. He was very athletic, very good, always was one of the top scorers, top rebounders, top leaders in block shots. And yet, he was almost always criticized because he was weak, they said. One player writing about him said, David Robinson has always been nice, and their team has always been nice. But do you want a bunch of guys who are nice all the time? Or do you want to win championships? If Dennis Rodman can keep David angry, they could make it out of the West and into the finals. Well, why was he considered nice and soft? Was it because he couldn't block the shots? No, he was one of the leaders. Was it because he couldn't get the rebounds? No, he was one of the leaders in that category as well. It's because when he would get knocked down by like Carl Malone, he wouldn't seek revenge. He wouldn't play dirty. He wouldn't do things that showed that he was overly aggressive in a wrong manner. And he was mocked and belittled for it. Yet, that is exactly what we're being called to do. To have our wisdom in gentleness. We don't need bravado. We don't need beating our chest. We need meekness. We need gentleness. You know, often we consider gentleness to be weak, but in fact, the opposite is really true. Anybody can blow their top. It doesn't take a lot of strength to let your emotions go wherever they'll take you. It takes a strong person to control their emotions, to let their mind dictate what they're doing. You know, Jesus was the most powerful people, man of all times. And he said, Matthew eleven twenty one nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You have all beings that ever lived. Jesus was the most powerful. He could command the wind to stop. He could stop the waves. And yet, it was controlled power. It was used in a gentle way. So being a gentle person is not about being a pansy weakling. Rather, it's about using your strength, controlling it, and extending the grace that God has first extended to you in both how you use it and how you do it. Again, you don't need wisdom to lose your cool, to let off steam. You need the wisdom and power of God to be gentle, though. When this gentle spirit really plays out how we interact with both Christians and non-Christians. With Christians, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, ha ha, got you. Not, oh boy, you're in trouble now. It's coming alongside them, trying to help. You know, it's rather than us being indifferent to their sins and not caring, or going around and telling everyone else about their sins, it's a coming gently to them, coming alongside in grace, to help them be restored to God. You know, it's the realization that we have been caught in sin and we want to come along and help someone else get out of the same entanglements. But gentleness is not just the mode in which we relate to believers, also unbelievers, because 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 says, 
and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. We often find a kind of sick pleasure in seeing people who hold a different viewpoint of us really being put down. On social media, this one thinks, they said this, just wait till the response that blew them out of the water. We want to see them belittled, mocked, and basically, they are so dumb to think that. And yet, we're to correct our opponents with gentleness. That when we're done, maybe even dismantling their arguments, they don't feel that we've run roughshod over them, that we've been insensitive or kind to them. Rather, our point is not to belittle them, it's to lead them gently to the truth. God's servant thus must correct people in a gentle manner. And so these first verse, this first verse 13 is asking us, do you have wisdom? Then if you do, is this gentle lifestyle in your life? Your children, what about you? And your sibling takes your toy or goes in your room again or sits in your chair what is the mode, the manner in which you talk to them? Is it a gentle spirit? Adults, as in your workplace, when someone doesn't follow through with what they're supposed to do, when you are given a task that's not yours, when your boss treats you wrongly, are you responding in a gentle manner? You know, James wants us to inspect the fruit of our tree of life, we might say, and then go, are we full of wisdom? And James not only wants us to inspect our fruit, he wants to see if it matches what is true wisdom. So he gives a, a contrast. Verses 14 through 16, he's going to first paint the wisdom from below. And then in verse 17 and 18, we'll see the wisdom from above. So again in verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So James here is directly confronting those who think they are wise, and he asks them, well, what about the condition of your heart? You know, he gets past behavior because God gets past our behavior, and he looks all the way in. What is going on inside of you? You know, are your feelings, are your desires, are your ambitions, are they selfish? Are they jealous? And he uses that first one, jealousy. You know, we all know what jealousy is, envy. It's that feeling that wells up in us when we see something that someone has and we're angry. We're bitter that they have it and we don't. How come they look so beautiful? How come their kids are always succeeding? How come they always get a new car? How come, how come, how come? And we're not delighting at what they get. We're bitter. We're jealous of them. And James is saying, look, if you're filled with this envy, this jealousy of those around you, then you're not filled with the wisdom from above. That's the wisdom that's from below. Along with that, he mentions selfish ambition. In other words, all they're concerned about is their own course of life. They make sure everything's going well for them. They're really not too concerned what's going on for everyone else. You probably have heard of the Greek, mytho the Greek mythology in which Narcissus is the main character. 
He's a handsome young man. And when he goes to a reflecting pool and sees himself, he's so enamored that he can't leave. He's so enraptured by his own beauty that he stays at the pool until he dies. The beauty entranced him and he couldn't leave himself. In other words, he had selfish ambition. And so today you may hear people called narcissistic coming from that story. You know, we love ourselves. About eight years ago, some researchers were studying the words that were used in our music, and they began to realize that the number of uses of I and me in songs was going up, and the number of uses of we and us in songs was going down. Our songs, our culture is more about me, 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 I, I, I. You may remember at that time that even one famous singer said, I'm teaching people to worship themselves. Very clear. My songs are about getting them to worship themselves. They couldn't say more clearly, I'm trying to help them have selfish ambition. And yet James says that's the exact opposite of wisdom that's from above. And we are just a nation full of self. Self Self-esteem, self-expression. What is it in for me? And so again, we have to ask, would those who know you best, maybe your co-workers, would they say your job, your work is about you? Or is it about the team or the company or the military? Would your family say that your goals are what drives the day? Or is your ambition for the good of everyone. What James is saying is if these fruit exist in their life, then they need to stop boasting. They need to stop going around saying, well, I'm a really wise person. Because wisdom is shown in deeds. You know, really he's saying that they are deceived people because it says in the end of verse 14, they're false to the truth. This has been a theme through the book of James, if you read it, about the possibility of self-deception. We can lie to ourselves and think we're a certain way when actually we're not. And so it's good to listen to others and what they say. And then he explicitly says this is not from God because he says it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Basically, he's summarizing the three places from which we get temptation. The world, which is earthly, our sinful flesh, which is natural, and the devil, which is demonic. What does the world tell us? You're number one. Life is too short to be unhappy. You deserve a break. Most advertisements now are run on the idea that you deserve this. You owe yourself this. You are owed this. Well, our flesh, what does it tell us? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is death. Or Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So the world is telling us it's about us. Our flesh is telling us, listen to yourself. And then the demonic wisdom, it will roll with whatever punches we give it. Satan is the ultimate judo fighter. Whatever punch you give him, he'll take it and use it against you. You His first tactic is to keep you away from God, his word and church. But if you get involved, he's happy to roll with that as well. He'll then help you to be the best Bible reader. He'll help you to be the most faithful church attender. Then he'll start whispering in your ear how much you're better than that person next to you who doesn't know as many verses, or who wasn't here as many weeks as you were, or who doesn't know their doctrine as well as 
You do. The only thing Satan wants you to do is boast about yourself. As long as you're not focused on Jesus, he's happy to lead you into a spiritual life or an unspiritual life. As long as it is still about me, me, me. Sammy Rhodes writes, the longtime pastor in Philadelphia, Don Gray Barnhouse, was once asked what he thought it would look like if Satan was ever to take complete control of a city. He writes, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Satan is happy for this, for every church to be full, as long as the focus is us. As long as we keep our eyes off Jesus and him being the center. As long as, he says, we have selfish ambition in our hearts. Now notice the fruit in verse 14 that James lists shows that we don't have true wisdom because selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is in our heart. But notice the things he didn't list. He didn't list lying stealing, adultery, doing drugs, or any other big sin that we might mention. He's talking about what's going in in our hearts. God is first concerned about what goes on inside of us that then will lead into what goes on outside of us. So the wisdom that is from above is all about me. And look at the fruit of it. He says, where there is jealous and selfish ambition... There will be disorder in every vile practice. Verse 16. These sins may start in the heart, but they never stay there. Just like the seeds that go into the garden, they never just stay in the ground. They come up and they produce fruit. And the fruit of what's going on in our hearts always spills into our relationships. One of my professors humorously said, Marriage is great because we finally find someone who loves us as much as we do. The only problem is, after a few weeks, they and we start realizing they don't love us as much as we do. And then there's conflict because, hey, I wanted to do this today. Well, I wanted to do this. And if there's only selfish ambition, well, then there's going to be an eruption. There's going to be, what he says in verse 16, disorder in every vile practice. But if there is... Option two, rather than continuing to say it's about me, 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 it's about God and serving others. Well, then I wanted to do this today. You wanted to do that. Let's compromise. Let's work something out so you can do what you want and we could work it out. So maybe even I could do what I want. It's not about just me. It's about us. And so the fruit is always shown by what's going on inside. It really all of this is stemming from humility So keep a finger in James 2, but flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Because there we see the ultimate example of humility. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, we read, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, often the selfish ambition arises because we think, I deserve this. I earn this. Now, who of all beings could have said that more than Jesus? He made all things. He made all people. He was and is God. But what did he say on earth? First, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was not filled with selfish ambition. Rather, he was filled with ambition for his father. And then second, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Who every person who came into his presence should have immediately bowed and said, what can I do to serve you? And yet he flipped the tables and said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And then in Philippians 2, as we just read, what does that lead to? By dying to ourselves, living for God. It doesn't lead to merely death. It leads to life because God exalted him. And then Christ says, follow me. The way to true life, the way to true wisdom is dying to self and living for him. And so that leads to our last two verses, verses 17 and 18 in James 3, because he's going to show us what is true wisdom. Well, the true wisdom is wisdom that's from above. It says in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, as you look at the whole of the book of James, you realize that we have this wisdom because God gave it to us. Look over at James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. In James 1 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. And so God gives us this wisdom, and what does it lead out to? Well, first, it leads to it being pure or having moral purity. Wisdom never buys into statements like, well, you're never going to succeed if you follow every rule. Well, everyone's cheating, so you have to if you want to keep up. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Wisdom from above is first pure in all respects. True wisdom is always pure and avoids sin. But not only that, it's peaceable. True peace. Ken Sandy wrote a wonderful book called The Peacemaker, and in it, he notes the way we can often make other things peace. You know, true peace is not just being a peace faker. Say, oh yeah, everything's okay. When in fact, everything's not okay. That's not being a peacemaker. Some of us, also peace breakers, we're very happy to start an argument. But true peacemakers are always working that there might be true harmony, both in thought and deed. In Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as a Christian, when we have a problem with someone, we really only have two options. We can, one, forgive them. We can just 
by the grace of God, say, I'm going to drop this and no longer hold this against you. Or we can go talk to them about it. There's no other options. We either forgive them or we go and talk to them and try and work it out. Because we're called, like God, to be peacemakers. Now, we often don't realize how great a desire God has for us to have peace with one another. Again, hold your finger there and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking in what's famously called the Sermon on the Mount. And in verses 23 and 24, he talks to them about what they should do if they realize someone has something against them. Now, without hearing Jesus' words, many of us would say, well, if they have something wrong with you, I'm here. They can come talk to me whenever they want. I got a phone. They can text me. We can get together. But Jesus flips the tables. Matthew 5, 23, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It doesn't matter that they started it or that's their fault. If you know there's conflict, you are supposed to go to them. And he even says, look, this is more important than worship. Your spiritual life is seen in how you live with people here on earth. So go and seek reconciliation. That's the wisdom that is from above. Because God is a peacemaker and we should be like him. Well, third, back in James chapter 3, the third Evidence of wisdom from above is gentleness, which we spent some time discussing earlier. Fourth, it's open to reason. Now, there's no immediate response, no knee-jerk response. Rather, there's a listening to both sides. Proverbs 17.10 tells us, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You know, some people will listen to nothing, but a man of wisdom or woman of wisdom is open to reason. Though we may not agree with everything they say, we're open to listening and correction. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Well, fifth, God's wisdom shows itself in being full of mercy and good fruit. Throughout this, Letter James has pointed out some of this mercy and good fruit. If you look at James chapter 1, he says, verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In chapter 2, verse 8, he talked about the mercy and good fruits of not being judgmental. In chapter 2, 15 through 16, he talked about the good fruits of helping those who have physical needs. Well, sixth, he tells us the wisdom from above is impartial. You know, we are prone to all types of favoritism, nepotism, cronyism, the good old boy network. And yet wisdom from above is not led by favoritism. You know, we're not led, as James talks about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, well, they're really rich. So let's give them a special place of honor. But they're really poor. So we'll say, you kind of come over here to the side. Wisdom from above treats all as equal because they're all made in God's image. And so partiality is driven out. 
Well, seventh, the wisdom that is from above is sincere. There's no hypocrisy. We don't just fake love and concern. It comes from the heart. And not only is the actions different, but the result is very different. Because in verse 16, we saw disorder and vile practice. But verse 18, the wisdom from above leads to fruit of peace. Leads to righteousness. You know, Think through the analogy James is giving us here. The fruit is righteousness. And so how do we know the wisdom that's in our life? Well, look at the fruit that's hanging from the tree of your life. And if the fruit is these type of things, it's showing us a righteous life. When all of this is really pointing us to the fact that Jesus is true wisdom. And he became wisdom for us. 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 30 through 31 it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know how you hear these verses, but as I read through them and reflect on them, it makes me think, actually, I'm pretty selfish. You know, even the good things I do often are maybe more tainted by who's going to notice or am I going to get anything back? And yet here he's saying, our, our deeds should be done out of love for God. And it, from that, we can then just beat ourselves up. We can say, oh, we're so horrible. Or you might be listening to this list going, well, that's me. Check, check, check. Pretty wise person. I'm glad I came today. I was affirmed in my wisdom. And yet again, if we leave here either beating ourselves up or boasting in ourselves, we've missed the point. That's what Satan wants us to do, to be focused on me me, me, and instead, God is trying to get us to lift our eyes up to Him and boast in the Lord. You know, narcissist, he couldn't get his eyes off himself. That's all he could see. Look at me, look at me. Jesus, if there was a reflecting pool, could have looked down and said, there's no one greater. And he would have been right. And yet to use the language of baptism, he buried himself in the water. He died to himself. And then he calls us to follow him. That's the language of Romans 6, that we are buried with him in baptism. That we die to ourselves and then we are risen again to new life. And so we don't leave here, I'm a really wise person, glad Pastor Jeremy let me know. Or, I'm a really foolish person, I wish I hadn't gone. But Christ is a really wise person. And what love that he would reach down as you soak your roots in him true wisdom, then this fruit will flow out in your life. Not as you beat yourself up, not as you just stare at yourself, but as you realize and come to a love and adore the Christ who is our wisdom, will this flow out in your life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may it be true that there is less of us and more of you. Lord, that we would get our eyes off ourselves. Lord, we love to look at ourselves and either beat ourselves up or boast. But may we have our eyes driven from ourselves to your one and only perfect Son. May we adore Him. May we love Him. May He be the focus of our lives. It's in His name we pray. Amen.